Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this Father's Day. Uh, we recognize, Father, that um, as you have modeled that through your word and how you demonstrated it to us through your love and your mercy, we are so grateful that we are the beneficiaries of that. We pray, Father, for the men that are here this morning, those of us that are fathers, that we'll listen carefully to your word and, and we'll be challenged uh, by it and that we'll be blessed and where conviction is needed, conviction will be received. Father, we also pray for the men that may be in the service who uh, were not blessed with, uh, as a tenant father. Uh, they may have had an absentee father, uh, uh, one that uh, did not uh, take the leadership role that he had. So some of us may not have the, as pleasant thoughts as we would love to have experienced or have had in our life. But still, Father, we know that you are our Heavenly Father, that you are the one that meets the needs and that we would never to rely just on one person in this world, whether it be a father, mother, or, or a spouse, even a child or a friend, that you're the one that's always faithful and true. And may we know that you console us. You are the great comforter. While you give us family, we recognize our frailties, our failures. But we acknowledge these. We come before you. And Father, we want to be better people. We want to be your people. And we want to grow and help us this morning to use this opportunity for that very purpose. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I've been told that Brother Corey could preach a long sermon. All of us preachers are guilty of that at times. And I'm reminded of a story of a, of a bishop. He was, he was sharing a message at a chapel service at Yale University. And he chose to take the uh, word Yale and make his outline. So he, he preached on why that was for youth. He preached 15 minutes. Then A was ambition. He preached 15 minutes on that. Then L was leadership. He preached 15 minutes on that. And then E was for energy. He preached 15 minutes on that. It was kind of agreed by the students. It was kind of a boring uh, message. And toward the end of the message, a young man came down to the altar and he knelt to pray. Well, the service was quickly over. Uh, right after that and and so when he got up from his praying the bishop went to him and asked him said young man what was it that moved you in my message that caused you to come down here and pray he said well there was nothing really in the message but I was thanking God that we're not the Massachusetts Institute of Technology here at this school <laughs> so when you see the outline don't don't get frustrated that we're going to be here an hour we'll we'll be gone it, it may be a little after 12 but we'll be gone all right this morning we want to continue a series that we've been working on called uh, god's blueprints for uh, family relationships god's blueprint for family relationships so today we're going to talk about loving husbands and loving fathers male leadership is so important in our world but no more important than a husband and as a father in the home and it should be a loving relationship a loving husband a loving father that's the way I think that God had intended it all along and as we look at these relationships that we're to have I think that God had intended for men to recognize these responsibilities and to grow in these responsibilities. But many of us did not grow up with very good models. And let's just face it, my, I, I had a good dad. I know he was loved, and you probably were loved by your dad. 
but th- th- some of us did not have those good models. While he was a good model at some things, it wasn't always about how to be the most loving uh, husband or the most loving parent. And if we're not careful, we can go to the, the wrong sources for that. We can, maybe a coach, maybe a teacher, or maybe something on TV, or maybe a movie, and we could learn from some negative areas instead of looking uh, to what our fathers should have been giving us. When we look at what the kind of father God wants us to be, we, there are two extremes that are out there. On one side, there's the domineering father, the one that uh, he makes all the decisions. He's not asking any counsel from his wife. Everybody does exactly what he wants done, and the wife is left, mom is left to raise the kids. On the other side is the, the father that is the absentee. You can't count on him. He lets the wife make the decisions, the wife leads the children, and he's out and about doing his own things. Well, those are the extremes. That's not what God wants. God wants balance in our life. He does want the kind of person, the man, that will be responsible for the home, not domineering, but a true servant, a servant leader. That's what he's looking for. And he's looking for one that sees the wife as the partner. He, he is one that's going to be actively involved in the children. So we're going to flesh that out. So if you'll take your Bibles, let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, and we're going to look at a verse or two in that chapter, and then one in chapter 6 as well. And so let's begin by looking at a loving husband. A loving husband. And as we look at this loving husband, the first thing I want you to see is a loving husband views his wife as a partner. Look with me in verse 31, chapter 5, verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, that verse is also repeated in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And we're in the very ancient text. We go all the way back to Genesis. God intended for, for the man, for the woman to leave family, cleave with one another, glued together, bonded, and become one flesh. And then they were to have dominion. They were to subdue and have dominion over this world, over all the creatures of the world. But nowhere will you find that a husband is to subdue his wife. It is to be a partnership. And in that partnership, the wife is to be seen as the equal within their relationship. She brings, just like the husband, they each bring things to the table, so to speak. And so they find that where the husband may be strong, the wife may be weak, or where the wife is strong, the husband may be weak. So they complement each other, and that's with an E, a C-O-M-P-L-E-M-E-N-T. They complement each other. They work together. They are a partnership together in life. And they make and understand God's word. They make this relationship one in which they come in an equal way, loving each other and balancing their relationship together. A second area, a loving husband will communicate with his wife. He will communicate with his wife. Now, research tells us that women usually speak more words in a day than a man, all right? And that's not a real secret to uh, probably most, if not all of us, in here. And I've seen all kinds of statistics. I've seen where men speak 5,000 words a day and a woman 10,000 words. Or maybe 7,500 for the man and 1,500 for, or 15,000 for the wife. All right, so somewhere in there, we do know women speak more words. They're going to have more words to say. And the problem, ladies, is this, that for us men, when we go to work, we use most of our words at work, okay? So we come home, we sit at the table, and you ask us the question, well, how did your day go? We only have one le- word left. Fine. And then we go back to eating. 
All right, isn't that true, guys? We usually have a tendency to say all those words and someplace else, but our wife desperately needs us to share in conversation. It's through conversation that we learn about our thoughts, our feelings, about our desires. We don't learn that from our behavior. All right, we don't get that from, uh, our wife can't just look at us and know all those things, just how we act. We've got to talk, and we've got to share with them. And they, they want to know, they have this tremendous desire to know us. And the only way they can do that is through our conversation. So we, should, they want us to share our thoughts, our feelings, and uh, our, our desires. And, and this helps us. And if we fail to do that, then it, it creates a sense of isolation for our wives. And they feel cut out from our life. So we need to communicate with our wives. Number three, a loving husband will put his wife at the top of a priority list. He will put her at the top of the priority list. Now, we all have priorities. And some of us, we make lists. Some of us, it's a mental. And then there may be a few of us, you know what I mean? We don't, we don't even know what, how to spell the word priority, much less do it, all right? We're just kind of coming, coming and going in our life. But most of us live by priorities. So how do you... How do you gauge? How do you list your priorities? How do you know what are priorities? Well, what is it that you spend most of your time doing? Where do you spend most of your money? Where do you spend most of your energy? If you'll answer those three questions, you'll find out what your priorities are. Your priorities will be tied in to where you spend your time, your money, and your energy. So where does your wife, men, where, do you, where does your wife fit into your priorities? Now, let me tell you the challenge that we have, men. We have a challenge because of our jobs. We get so much of our self-identity from our job, from those that we work with. And, and so we're going to, naturally, we're going to go toward the job. But if not careful, we will cut our wives out. We push them to the margins. Now, it's important for us to work. It's important for us to do a good job. We are to help to provide for our family. So there's no argument there. But if we're not careful, we spend more and more time with the job, worrying about the job, stressed about the job, or trying to make more money. When it's not all about the money, it's about providing for the family. And we push our wives out. A second area that's a challenge, and it's more so for our wives than it's for us, but sometimes our mother, especially in early marriage, we may have a mother that is jealous of our wife because uh, someone else, another woman, has taken her son away from her. And so there may be challenges there that keep the wife from being a priority to her husband. And the third area that we have a challenge, men, is with our children. Our children are vying for our attention. They're vying to be number one. And granted, at different levels of their growth and their development, we have to spend more and more time. And maybe when they're preschool, children are, are students. But we must never let them totally dominate our life and become number one. That's also a challenge for the, for the mother as well. We must always make our wives the priority in our life. Keep her number one in your relationship. Now let's look at number four. A loving husband will love his wife unconditionally. Unconditionally. Look at verse 25 in chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her we are to love like christ christ loved the church he died for the church remember christ is the bridegroom and the church is the bride in the same way of that relationship we see it in our homes 
But you and I are like the bridegroom. We are dying for our bride, our wives. Just like Christ died for the church, we too are to give unconditional love to our, to our wives. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, God demonstrated his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But notice that first phrase, God demonstrated his love. We have to demonstrate our love to our wives. We keep the vows that we made. Maybe yours was the traditional. The traditional vows of, of a commitment of for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, and sickness and health. But whatever it may be, we understand the unconditional love of always desiring her interest and making sure she feels that love and is taken care of. Then also, number five, a loving husband is committed to discovering his wife's needs. We, we have a, a, a need to make sure that in our life, men, we're discovering, we're meeting those needs. Our wives have emotional needs. She has a great desire to be loved and cared for, to be treated with tenderness and with compassion, uh, with kindness, all of those things. She has this great need to know that she's being loved by her husband. She also has a great need of security. And that security is not just the physical security that we might give them by our presence and our manliness, but also the security to know that no matter what happens, we will always be there. We'll never leave her. That we'll always be there by her side. She has that great need. But she also has a need of, self, uh, of self-esteem. A moment ago I said, men, we get our self-esteem by our work. And, and by playing sports and, and being involved with, with other men, other kind of activities. But our wives get their self-esteem from us. This is how it's built, is through our relationship. When she was living at home, it was her father. But then her father handed her off to us in marriage at the altar, and it be, then it became our responsibility. And once again, I said that most of us did not have good role models about how to build up our wife's self-esteem. But she needs that and she will need that all of her life. So we need to discover those needs. One of the great books that's been a help to me, I've used it in my premarital counseling. Uh, I had a session yesterday and ended with this, uh, talking about this book in my marital counseling. I talk about it. It's a book entitled His Needs, Her Needs by Willard Hartley. His needs, her needs. And it's a wonderful book, men, to help you understand your wife. But also, wives, a good book to help you understand men as well. I commend that to you. And lastly, number six, a loving husband will seek to model his spiritual values and moral values as well. A husband will seek to share these, lead, make sure that he is being the spiritual leader in a home. Men, God has called you to be the spiritual leader in the home. You're like the priest of your home. Please see your home as a miniature church. And, you're the, and you are leading your wife. You're leading your children in spiritual things. So you're kind of like the priest. And, and you're teaching and you're guiding. Today, uh, and, and, and rightfully so, there's a tremendous emphasis on discipleship and getting back to true biblical discipleship. We all should be having someone that is mentoring us, discipling us from the top down. But then we need to have somebody that we're mentoring, that we're discipling as well. And so it's a small group. We may be part of a small group, a Sunday school class, a group of men, a group of women, whatever it may be. But then we have a responsibility, men, and you do that through your wife and, in, and into the lives of your children. You're the spiritual leader. 
We talk about one of the needs that we have is respect. When we fail to be the spiritual leader, our wives will not respect us as they ought to, and they're dying for us to be the spiritual leader. And because we have a need for respect, you be the spiritual leader. You'd be amazed at how your wife will follow you and how she will grow in Jesus Christ when you're the leader. Now, those are the things for a loving husband. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's a really good representative list of what we need to be. Now, let's look at how to be a loving father, a loving father. Men, we need to rediscover the importance of male leadership. I loved uh, James Dobson, who founded Focus on the Family, a great Christian psychologist. He said this, I believe with everything within me that husbands hold the keys to the preservation of the family. Men hold the keys. Husbands, fathers, you hold the keys. I think you'll agree with me. In our country today, one of the breakdowns we have is in the family unit. We know, by, and the, the statistics are out there, there's surveys, the research has been done. What happens when there uh, is not a father in the home? One who is not teaching, he may live in the home, but he's not really there and engaged, or he is totally absent physically from the home. The family has tremendous difficulties when the father is not there. Fathers, you are the key. You're the key to your child's self-identity. You are a key to that. You, by loving them, caring for them, sharing words with them, they're going to believe what you say. And if you're always encouraging, uplifting, that's great. But if you're always discouraging, they're going to, they're going to believe that as well. So it's important for you. You're helping their self-identity. Another area is in their sexuality. You're helping them in their gender roles. Men, you are one of the keys to your daughter's growth. I've read a number of articles about this, some good books out there about this, about helping your daughters grow up. Yes, mothers are important. There's not a question about mothers, but the father is a key to that daughter and who she's going to choose as a spouse. And if you want her to marry the right kind of person, you need to make sure you model that in your own life. You be that loving person, that caring person. You talk about your daughter, how pretty she is and how wonderful she is. And then she's going to go around looking for a young man that's going to build her self-esteem and encourage her life and support and love her like dad did. And guys, for, the, for your sons, teaching them true masculinity. You give them support. You give them encourage. You challenge them and, and the resources that you, that you have. You are a key there. You're a key to their motivation. When they see that you've accomplished things in life, when they see that your dreams have been fulfilled, they're going to want to follow dad. And also, they are going to want to achieve as well, like dad has achieved for the family. Another area is their social, uh, socialization, being out with people in social groups. If you're the kind of person that's always up in a tree stand, always on a golf course, always at the river fishing, that's not really healthy for a child that needs social involvement. You, don't, you don't, might not care about being around people. You need to care, be, care about being around people and having friends and social development. Your children are watching you. They're watching you. And you can guide them and encourage them by your example as well. So let me give you seven characteristics of a loving father. The first one is this. A loving father will be active in fathering. Let's look at chapter 6, verse 14. We talked about this part last week. Fathers, don't exasperate your children, but instead bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. You need to be active in the fathering from the very beginning. 
Now, in our, in our time, a lot of fathers get the, the privilege, the joy of being in the birthing room from the very beginning. In my generation, we, we didn't have that opportunity as well as it is, as much as it is today. I wish we had. But I want you to know, I was one of those hands-on fathers. God wants all of us men from the very beginning to be a hands-on father. For an example, when we were at seminary, my son was a little less than a year old, and I had to make a, an emergency, emergency trip home. My dad was having surgery, and uh, I took my son, Arlinda, stayed and, and worked her job. And on the plane from Dallas-Fort Worth to Atlanta, from Atlanta to Orlando, I don't know how many ladies tried to take my son away from them, from, from me. I mean, they thought I, I was helpless, I guess. But I know, knew how to feed my son. I knew how to change the diaper. I knew how to take care of my son because I was a hands-on. But they kind of looked at me and thought, well, he doesn't know what he's doing. But I was a hands-on. We all need to be hands-on from the very beginning. Second of all, a loving father will make time to be with his children. Again, if we're going to train them and, and bring them up, as verse 4 talks about in the instructions of the Lord, we've got to spend time with our children. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, in the great passage we call the Shema, and it's the teaching, and every Jewish child learned this passage of Scripture. It speaks about parents, impress upon your children. When they get up in the morning, when, when they're walking, when, when they're sitting, when they lie down, impress upon them the teachings, the commandments of the Lord. That, that's what we have to do. We have to spend time to accomplish that. And children spell love, T-I-M-E. That, that's how they spell love. So spend the time with them and investing in their lives. I heard a survey recently. The average father only spends two hours, two hours a week with their children. That's after the job, after cutting the yard or sports or hobbies or other things that go on. Just two hours. We need to spend more time with our children. Number three, a loving father engages his children in conversation. You're going to ask questions. And you're not going to ask just that, simple, well, what, what's happening in your day? No, be specific. Hey, tell me what's going on with school. What are you learning in school? How are your classes going? Tell me about your teacher. Tell me about your friends. What are you doing with your friends? What do y'all talk about? What, what, what's what's uh, the interest you have in common with your friends? What about the books you're reading? What, what, what is it that you're reading right now? What is it that you're enjoying right now? Engage them in conversations and have, uh, have an opportunity to hear what's going on. And then, then continue. Those things will open up. Those situations will open up more and more questions and understand what they're feeling, what they're experiencing, what their thoughts are, what their dreams are, their aspirations as well. So it's important to have conversations. One of the things we enjoyed in our house was in a day when we could sit around the table on, on the evening and before things you know, just kind of went crazy maybe afterwards with activities, but we enjoyed hearing from our children and talking and engaging them in conversation. Arlinda was excellent at doing that. And it's just good to sit around. Even today when the children and grandchildren come home, we extend a table with an extra table to have all 14 of us sitting around. And just to listen to their stories, we just get them started. And so the grandchildren are talking, the children are talking. I learned things, Arlinda, we've learned things about our kids we never knew when they were growing up. If I had, I probably would have killed them, all right? But they're, they're confessing that in front of their children, thinking they're safe in front of our grandchildren, that we won't won't get on them but it's a lot of fun to hear them and to talk with them 
And you're, you're making history, you're sharing history, you're, you're making memories. And, and there's something that, that's the context for them, for their future, to refer back to and to know what went on in the family. One of the, one of the uh, incidences in our family life that, that uh, happened was our son, Brent, uh, was in a play at school and uh, when he was in Emprise High School, and first year, he had a minor role. Second year, a good average role. Third year, he was one of the three stars. Uh, it was a musical, and, and he was gifted at singing. And uh, so I was out jogging one night with the minister of music, and uh, we were jogging in our community, in our neighborhood. He was at play practice, and he had picked up one of his best friends. Well, as we were jogging in the neighborhood where the friend lived, close by, about a mile away, um, as we were coming up to an intersection that was a T, he had to go right, and the car that had come up had to go right or left. It was going right. Well, it stopped for the stop sign, but then that car, that driver, hit the gas pedal and just fishtailed around the corner and burning rubber and all of those things. Well, as I got closer, I realized that was my car and my son that was doing that, all right? So we finish our jog, and I clean up, and when... Um, uh, when I come out, he has come home, and, and I asked him, how was play practice? Oh, it went fine. Well, I didn't say anything. I waited till the next night at supper. I said, son, you know, something happened last night. I said, um, Ronnie and I were jogging, and uh, I was on the back street on Hickory Bend. It was the street we were, uh, we were having to be jogging on. I saw this car pull up, and I, there wasn't enough light, but it sure did look like uh, my car. And uh, whoever was driving, man, just hit the gas pedal and, and fishtailed around the curve and burning rubber and whatever. And before I could hardly finish, my son said, that was me, Dad, and I'm sorry. <laughs> and so we laughed about it. And I said, son, there's going to be a day. It's going to be your car and your money, and it's going to be your tires, and you can do whatever you want. But this is my car, my tires. I'm paying for it. Don't do it again. And I gave him a scripture passage. I said, son, I want you to remember this scripture passage. In, in the book, and I think it's from the book of Numbers, your sins will find you out. And he said, yes, Dad, my sins found me out. So we laughed, and we went on, okay, no other problems about that. Well, my son has just finished his 27th year teaching at Pazitz Middle School, Vestavi School System there in Birmingham. He teaches choral music, 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. He has told his mom and me every year to begin the year with his 6th grade choral class, he tells that story. And he said, my dad told me, my sins will find me out. He looks at those students, and your sins will find you out too. So you do this, you behave, and we're going to get along just fine. Well, it was a life lesson. It was simple. You have conversation. You have a life lesson through your conversations. Number, number four, a loving father plays with his children. Plays with the children from the very beginning. And again, it's whatever level development their child. It may be the baby's still in the crib, and you just take a little object, a little teddy bear, and you just wave it in their eyes, and you're moving, and the, their eyes follow it. Or it may be uh, a little later on as they're beginning to focus, and you put that object in front of them, let them reach for it, and they're grabbing for it. Later on, they're sitting up, and you're rolling a ball to them, and they're learning some coordination. Uh, or maybe... Um, uh, it is playing patty cake with them or teaching them to wave bye-bye, all right? And then you begin to go a little deeper. It's rolling cars or truck. It's dressing dolls. Then it's games. It's board games. And then it becomes maybe the sports. And, and you, or you're learning sports, whatever they may be. But whatever it is, you are playing with the children. And please, 
don't make your play work. Play is a time to share together in a family relationship. So don't make it work. Don't get so serious about techniques and things like that that you lose the fun in it. We have uh, our daughter and son-in-law, Carl and, and Randy. I, I loved how they, what they did with their, their boys. Their boys, as they were coming along, they played soccer. You know, they played the little preschool soccer. And then they played a little t-ball. And, and uh, one of my, our grandsons, he actually played football a little bit for the YMCA. But they kept their soccer up. And I think parents ought to find out what their children are interested in and then help them pursue that. Well, come to find out, the grandsons, they wanted to play soccer. And so they played soccer all the way through over in Prattville, uh, right into uh, the high school. They made the JV team. They both played varsity. Uh, our youngest just graduated. He was the MV MVP for his varsity team. Well, we have one grandson. He's uh, going to be a junior at University of Mobile. He's on the soccer team for Mobile. And the one that just graduated, he uh, has signed to play with Faulkner. So he's going to play on Faulkner's uh, soccer team. And their parents made it fun. And then as the years went by, the skill level. Well, whatever it is that your children want to pursue, just invest in them, but make it fun for them. A father will play with the children. Number five, a loving father teaches his values. He teaches his values. Listen, somebody is going to teach your children values. And it needs to be you, not somebody else. Not a teacher, not a coach, unless they are in agreement with yours. Our friends, our TV, our, the internet, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those things. Somebody is always going to be wanting to teach your children. You need to be ahead of it and make sure you're teaching faith and family values. Values are important. They bring such satisfaction to our life. They give us purpose. They give us order. And, and values are nothing more but what you think is important and you add worth to it. For example, if you believe in honesty, then you're going to treat people honestly. Your children will watch, will watch you. If you believe in kindness, your children will see that kindness and they will follow you. If it's work, they'll, they will work. My dad had a tremendous work ethic. I saw him go to work, take care of his family. And he never complained. I never heard dad complain. Surely he was tired of work like any of us would be tired. But he never complained about his responsibility. And little wonder that his three sons and his daughter all had really good work ethics. And mom did too as well. She was wonderful at work. And so those things are conveyed. Those values, they're passed on. You can't force your values on your children. But you can teach them. You can guide them. Number six, a loving father will provide and protect his children. When we talk about providing, sure, we're talking about food, shelter, clothing, all those kind of things. My righteous indignation really boils when I see and hear about a father that leaves uh, the wife, leaves the children, and has, doesn't take any responsibility for their physical needs. When the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 5, 8, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We need to provide, but we also protect. Physically, yes, because we're men, but also we're talking about protect them from drugs and alcohol. Protect them from pornography. Protect them from the predators that want to devour them out there. Lastly, a loving father loves his children unconditionally. He loves his children unconditionally. I could quote again, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love. Why and how? 
through Jesus dying on the cross for our sin. We too unconditionally love our children just like God. Listen, my love was never dependent. My wife's love never depended uh, on our children making good grades, how good they were in sports, uh, you know, all the chores that they may or may not have done, whether they were obedient or not. Our love was never dependent on those things. Our love was unconditional love. Now, did, was there behavior that we disapproved? Yes, and there was discipline. But we always loved them. They knew that we loved them. See, there's a difference between relationship and fellowship. And I want you to think about this with God, too. And, and uh, I was born, Travis Coleman Jr., to my parents, Travis and Betty Coleman. That, you can't deny the DNA in me is from mom and dad. So they never could deny their relationship. Now, the fellowship was broken down when I disobeyed. You know, there, there could be a breaking of fellowship. Isn't that not true about God? When you become a child of God, you are his child. You can't deny the relationship. You're a child of God. But the fellowship can be broken by our disobedience. By our disobedience. But God will always love us unconditionally. We are to love our children unconditionally as well. Fathers, please understand you are one of the keys, one of the essentials to the healthy relationship that your children have in the family and with God. Now let me close with this illustration. There were three frogs. They were on a stump. One of them decided to jump off. How many were left on the stump? All three. He only decided to jump. He didn't jump. Now men, we've challenged. Not to put you on a guilt trip. Not to fuss. Just a challenge. Raise the bar on where we are. If you're doing right, praise God, you're blessed. If there's some weaknesses, then let's, let's, let's raise the bar. Let's, let's raise what, we, what we're doing to the level that God wants us. Make a decision here that you're going to do something about it. But when you walk out these doors, then put action behind your decision. It's not enough to come to church and feel the conviction and make a decision. It's when you leave the doors and you do something about it. That's when the change happens. That's what I want to challenge you with. Not just to hear the message, but let's be doers of the word, like James says. Let's pray. As your heads are bowed and eyes are, eyes are closed, maybe there is a man here, a young man, middle-aged man, an older man, and you've yet to make a decision for Jesus Christ. There is no way that you could live what we've been talking about here and not be a follower, a Christ follower. And I want to challenge you. You may have a desire to be a more loving husband, more loving father, and you may accomplish some of these things, but ultimately, you'll find the greatest joy and the greatest fulfillment when you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. What a great day, Father's Day, to come to know Jesus, to invite him into your heart to be Savior and Lord, and follow him, be a part of his church, Follow him in baptism. Be obedient to him. I want to challenge you. Maybe this is the day. You know, you know what you need to do. Just simply pray, God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Savior and Lord. Help me be the Christian you want me to be. You, you know what to do. You know what to say. God knows your heart. Even if you don't get all the words right, he knows your heart. Now, would you make that commitment public? Would you follow the Lord? Be obedient by becoming a part of his church. 
Maybe you're here and you already know that and, and you, you've been praying about making that decision. Why don't you come? You could be an encouragement. God could use you not only for you to do right, but to encourage someone else to step out in faith. We want to give you that opportunity as well. Maybe somebody by letter, by statement, become a part of the family here at Elkdale. We invite you, encourage you to come. Heavenly Father, thank you for these moments, for speaking to us. Father, you know the heart uh, that we have of, of not to shame anybody, not putting anybody on a guilt trip, but just to challenge, just to lift up your word and let your Holy Spirit speak to us. Bless us where we need to be blessed. Convict us where we need to be convicted, as every Sunday, every time we speak truth. And so, Father, if there's that need in our lives today, then we pray that not only do we make a decision, that we're going to do something about it, but when we walk out these doors, that there will be action that will follow our decisions. So we pray for this invitation, whether public, uh, whether someone moves publicly or whether we just privately recommit to you. Bless this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.